is happening. This is happening. This is happening now. This is happening. This, 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 this right now is happening. Right now, it's totally happening. It's really happening. It's super happening. <laughs> Welcome, everyone, to the Underworld Party, where we interview people at the end of the world. Because wouldn't you like to be interviewed at the end of the world? It just sounds like a nice thing to do. Um, well, I'm really super stoked today. And uh, I have a guest that I've been wanting to chat with for quite a while. Finally read their book. We're going to get into it. Um, but before we get into it, donations are happily received at paypal.me slash daresohey or at the Patreon Animist Arts. So go to patreon.com, type in Animist Arts. You'll find uh, where we're doing stuff. All of your donations fund all of this uh, free what are we going to call it? Free play, free entertainment, free, uh, free nonsense on the wall, spaghetti that we throw at the wall. Um, so that's fun. And we're rolling along on this summer wave of uh, doing interviews with uh, people that I really want to talk to. And uh, what we have here today is uh, the, uh, what, the, the uh, amazing, talented, like translational master of uh, a work of art that I don't think I would have been able to get through without uh, this person's um, good work. So Jeremy Johnson, Jeremy Johnson, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? Give us a few words. What's going on? There, it's so good to be here. It's an honor to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me on. Um, what's going on today is I've been looking forward to this conversation all week, and I, I I sense we have a lot to talk about and cross talk about. Just just in our you know being in orbit around each other in our mutual circles and kind of going, hey, what you're talking about sounds a lot like what I'm discussing with Gepser and vice versa. So yes, I've been anticipating this, this conversation for some time. So feeling good, very curious to see where this is going to go. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's real. And it makes me want to, it makes me actually want to start by reading one of Gebser's poems that was translated by Aaron Chiak. Is that how I say their name? Aaron Cheek. Yeah. Aaron Cheek. Okay. But it's spelled like C H E A K. So if you look on the webs for this later, you know. But here's the deal. So Jean Jean Gebser, born what Hans Gebser, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, from Germany. But really, in that God, what do we even want to call it, Jeremy? This kind of like ecstatic European death poetry that was coming out in you know give me some times and days because we got Lorca we've got Rilke we've got what Sri or Bin we've got these amazing people that Gebser didn't evolve in a vacuum to write these poems that I want to read one of right now but just give us a little context of how like what are your what's your two minute Gebser oh, two minute Gebser oh my gosh in this <laughs> context in this context of it might be good to say uh, Gebser started off as a poet 
and a scholar poet himself. He was really interested in the new poetry, early 20th century, Rilke's poetry, and particularly Rilke engaging with the problem of death, with the problem of ego, the anxiety around death, right? Anxiety around the kind of modernist abstraction in relationship to to dying, right? And and to spirituality. So he was really drawn to that. Yeah. And uh, as a poet and as a scholar, and it seemed to have opened many, many doors. But you mentioned Lorca. Well, Gebser is one of these interesting folks who kind of traveled through Europe. I mean, he was escaping uh, the fascism that was very clearly growing and happening in Germany at the time. So he goes to France. He starts following in the footsteps of Rilke. He goes to Spain where Rilke went. Uh, during his own kind of poetic sojourn and is really kind of on a, a spiritual poetic pilgrimage to really get, a, get into the sense of what Rilke was talking about. And it's in Spain where Gebser has a few very interesting personal uh, religious perhaps uh, experiences, but also he befriends Lorca, the poet. And Lorca as well is kind of coming in what he, he calls um, uh, the realm of the mothers, right, in his poetry. And he seems to be kind of channeling this, this goes into what Gebser's later theory talks about, this earlier earlier history of consciousness, which is still alive in us and in the world. And that's what Gebser was really intuiting as well through, through this work and through this problem of, well, how do I wrestle with dying and death, right, yes. and becoming? Yes. Um, and so the presence of the dead begins to show up in, in the writing, and, and he really comments on this in, in Lorca's work, and then uh, the spirituality that Rilke needed to overcome that kind of crisis, that existential crisis right. as well. And so that's that's early Gebser. Maybe that's a good place to stop here too. I but... think it's a great. I think it's great because we get this real idea, or not. I don't know. It's a concretized idea because it's enfleshed, which is that the poet is a medium. The poet yes. is mediumistic in nature. That, yes, yes. that poetry, as we think of poetry now, it's not poetry, right? Like we are like, we have like taken the poet, that, that little eye out of poetry to make it poetry when it really is about poesis, which is about becoming, crossing thresholds and actually really mutating, fluxing into another like the, when the caterpillar becomes the butterfly, the butterfly still retains memories of being a caterpillar, but is no longer moving in space and time as a caterpillar, mm -hmm. right? And the poet as a medium that can actually kind of give voice to the ancestors, the dead, give voice to the mothers, capital letters, death, capital letters, like these are names, not objects, right? These are relationships, not, exactly. not static concepts fixed in mental rational space. These are like fully dancing creatures in our psyches and outside of our psyches as well. So this is why when I started to hear you and Brant Stickley talk about Gebser and you kind of took, I wanna say you kind of took the side door back to a better room in the club where the better music was playing. You know how you go to clubs, there's like five rooms playing music and you're like, you gotta find the room that's playing your music because otherwise all the other rooms just don't feel good. And 
I had learned of like integral theory and spiral dynamics a long time ago. I'm talking like 10 plus years ago, whatever. You know, I was in San Francisco. You know how it is. And I just never, it never struck me as fun and real and like visceral. And poetry is visceral. And I love poetry because you have to read poetry with your whole body, your whole self, right? And the poet has to write poetry with their whole self because it's what else you like, what are we doing it for? It's just, you know, it's got to be that thing that is a little mysterious. And so when I heard you and Brant and Barbara Carlson, of course, then, and, and, you know, I really respect the three of you and the different work you're doing. Um, but looking at the same kind of prism of this integral scaffolding that is very full bodied. It's a voluptuous poetic. And the fact that Gebser, even though the writing is almost crystalline, right? Like, it's like, whoa, this is like German. This is like, but this is like German numinosity. I'm like, what am I reading here? You know, it's like crystal cathedrals on the page where you're like, what is the, what is he saying? And yet, taking just even a few of Gebser's phrases out of context reveals the poetry of them. You're like, what the fuck? I could just put that on my wall and be like, whoa, you know? Like, so So here's a poem that I wanna read. Um, it's called Orbits, written by Jim Gebser. <clears throat> I'll try to do it justice, cause this shit is deep. <laughs> this shit is like prayerful, incantatory, you know? But this is Jean Gebser's poem, Orbits, that I want to start with. Our steps so slowly advancing, where will they be when night falls? So lost in life, we seek paths that eventually find us all. Accompanied always by death, we die so many times throughout life. Death now sleeps in my hand. Lucid flower surrenders to flight. Lost to death, we encounter paths that turn to behold us like stars discovering their orbits and finding us in their telos. Wow. I mean, I get right. chills. I get fucking chills. <laughs> Like death now sleeps in my hand. Mm -hmm. I know what that is. I know, I know what that is relationally in the present moment right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we have talked about being in each other's orbits and uh, Gebser and Rilke and all these people trying to deal with the problem of death, problems in quotations, because this poem accompanied always by death we die so many times throughout life death now sleeps in my hand lucid flower surrenders to flight that is someone who has transpersonally alchemized become into death and still alive and actually sleeps within death like death sits within my hand if death sleeps within my hand I sleep within death's hand. Mm -hmm. And this is the together, together holding, carrying vibe of the mystic traditions like way past. I mean, this is what everyone's talking about when you start to read the old scriptures that are essentially poetry, right? Mm -hmm. 
Yes, yes. So Gebser was on to something and then elucidated these kind of nuggets like death now sleeps in my hand, lucid flower surrenders to flight. The obvious question to a lay person is, well, how the fuck do I experience that? Well, I, I want to experience that beauteous funerary procession that is my life. I mean, you know. And then so Gibster writes a fucking book that is like, I just can't even. <laughs> and and I want to know specifically your own creative artistic process deciding to write this book, which is called Seeing Through the World, Jean Gibster and the Integral Consciousness by Jeremy Johnson. It came out a little while ago. It's it actually, you know, I read it really quickly. It's a great quick, quick read. It's 200 pages. The bibliography alone is just amazing if people want to dive in more. And you just kind of lay it out. You just kind of lay it out and you kind of translate, but it's not, it's not the kind of translation most people would think of when they think of translation. And so what, what is and how is and how was your creative process kind of, you know, working, crafting this piece of art called this book? Yeah, yeah. So it, it the book began as a late August writing session, afternoon thunderstorm writing session where the entire first chapter, the, the kind of prologue to the book, wrote it all at once in like 45 minutes. It just all came out. And I had been wanting to begin writing the book. My, my colleague, uh, Jen Zart, was asking, like, hey, when are you, you going to write that Gepser book? It's, it's low-hanging fruit. You're teaching it. You should just write a book on it. So she was very encouraging about that. Uh, but finally, that afternoon, it was like, it came with the thunderstorm. Came and with the thunderstorm. <laughs> what was interesting is the book cover also did because after I finished writing the draft in forty-five minutes or so, took a took a break, jumped online, and I found Nina Bunjevic who created that portrait, that illustration, uh, and a number of other really great ones on you know Rudolf Steiner and uh, Carl Jung and a few others, and. I just, I reached out to her, just, I just finished writing the opening chapter of my book. Would you like to get involved somehow? And, and immediately she was like, yes. So uh, there was a kind of, it, it was beyond just me writing this chapter, but it seemed to be, I was participating in this moment where many different things were converging. Yeah. Uh, and then from then on, I mean, it was, it was a pretty intense period of uh, three or four months of writing. It wasn't very long. It's not a long book, but uh, basically daily writing and going to coffee shops and writing at home and, and just really kind of wrestling with what, what do you, what would an audience need out of this text that isn't just, you know, going to Gepser himself. And so, yeah, it, it began as a kind of a, a conversation with um, a, a potential audience in terms of not just the concepts, but the, 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 the intensity of the book is what I wanted to convey. Right. Um, not just the ideas, but, but the way in which the ideas are, are playing with the present. They're, they're happening here, right? The ideas are alive in our time. Right. And so that and was the kind of overall feeling of the book as I was writing it. And it did feel, again, like I was just moving into a kind of intensive monastic phase of writing, 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 and then editing, of course, um, yeah. over a few, uh, just a few months, just a few mm -hmm. months. So totally. Yeah. And, and it, 
and the book that so so here's my image the image i get is that this book is like the ambassador at the gates of this crystal cathedral that i might not want to get lost in you know i'm <laughs> like wow this cathedral looks beautiful but it also looks sharp and dangerous and labyrinthine and that's Gebser's book, The Ever-Present Origin, right? And even the name itself is like, well, fuck, I could just stop there. Yeah. I could just stop there and write poetry about the, what the fuck Gebser was talking about when he said Ever-Present Origin and find all of it. I could do that. I mean, that's the kind of initiatory portal is like, you're already here. You want to just, you want to go deeper? Sure. But like, it doesn't matter. The ever-present origin, it's like, it's like wah, 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 reverberating through time and space, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, reading your book was like, I've been in this labyrinth. <laughs> I, Jeremy, have been in this labyrinth. I've created this tour guide for you. <laughs> like, like, you can hire a tour guide. You can buy this map and take the map with you if you want to go in the 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 tower or the labyrinth the cathedral right and it felt very much like yeah this ambassadorial diplomatic kind of um kindness like a kind of generosity of of craft like i'm gonna make this map but i'm gonna actually it's a cart it's a cartographical artistic experience to make this map it's not mm -hmm. just like functional only the map maker has to like have some kind of artistic uh you know say in how the map is drawn or written right and so that's what i really got the sense of reading the book is like jeremy is really just this great you know museum guide to this book painting thing and the the your your book is in itself like a fractal of the ever-present origin right it's like it's like a child of the ever-present origin, but in a sort of like bite-sized, you know, like bite-sized, you know, like just like little mini kitty, you know, like, oh, I don't want to eat the whole Snickers bar. I just want a bite of <laughs> Snickers bar. <laughs> um, so I got that vibe from the book. And as I was reading the book, I had a, it was a real reflective process, both reflecting on myself and Gebser's words, but also reflecting with you as a fellow writer, poet, person who teaches groups things, we very have similar, you know, our, our skill sets are very similar, facilitating large groups, like talking about ideas and concretizing them in the body so that they're not just abstract and actually discussing these questions that come up for people in real time and musing together. So, you know, and I've been in one of your classes, so it's like, yeah, yeah, this is great stuff. Um, but I was having that secondary or other multi, other simultaneous reflection of like being reflected and then seeing you and Gebser reflect each other. So you're reflecting Gebser in the book and I, the reader, am now reflecting Gebser and reflecting, but I'm reflecting Gebser through you. So it's diaphanous, <laughs> right? It's like Gebser is shining through Jeremy who is shining on Dare and Dare is shining back through the book. And now I'm talking to you in real life. So there's this sense of like, and then Gebster's in the room. And it's a very occult and yet very normal phenomenon of interrelationship, right? It's like yes. both very like numinous and also very fucking ordinary because this is what happens all the time. I walk into a garden. We're all here reflecting each other's light and wisdom. Wow. Isn't the diversity of, of reflections amazing? And mm -hmm. not just reflections like hard surfaces, but Gebser proposes this beautiful word to mean 
things that I'd love to hear your take and how this has worked in your life. Diaphaneity, the diaphanous. How does, how does Jeremy, how do you and all of you work with the spirit of diaphaneity in your life? Endlessly, endlessly. And, and, and in many different, like attempting to understand it in the conceptual, in the poetic, in the somatic for many of us. And that's been a big turn this year with interacting with you and, and Barbara Carlson and Brandt and last year as well. Um, so the, the diaphanous for Gepser is in the context of, let's say, what we mentioned earlier uh, when he was in Spain and he was befriending Lorca and reading Lorca's poetry and sensing the presence of the dead, et cetera. Uh, diaphany would be showing up in that context as, well, transparency. There is an awareness that the dead are present and that we are present with them. And through the medium of the poet, particularly, so that the poet has that sort of diaphanous relationship, a creative one, right, where they're in that exchange or they're the portal or they function as the book, like as like I was doing for Gepster's book. Right. Um, so it has that context, but then also for Gepser, it's this sense in which it's not only the dead who are present, but also the unborn. And so temporix is, is, is a big theme for diaphaneity for Gepser that the past and the present and the future have that living interrelationship with each other, dynamically informing one another in the present. It's, it's a relational whole. And you could take that in any which way, like you said, walking through a garden, our conversation, uh, ancestor work, uh, intellectual work. Can ideas become transparent to their magical and mythical potencies, which can constitute them as well, right? So, so the, it could, you could take it any which way, but it, it is one of the central themes for Gepser is the sense of um, the, the being transparent to the living interrelationships in, through, behind things um, as beings, right? as an interrelationship of beings and being right. right so totally yeah right it's yeah and you know i mean this is there's just so much it's so ludicrous almost the the, <laughs> the amount of rabbit holes that gebser uncovered and just was like here you go here you go kids i don't know what you're gonna do with this because you know it really feels like gebser was channeling and it really feels like gebser was listening which is channeling right and was sort of in a mediumistic or semi-possessory state of like listening to words come from somewhere else or some who else, some when else, right? Like, mm -hmm. like oh, the past is talking to me, the future is talking to me, but they're talking to me in the present. Oh, Christmas tree, you know, like. <laughs> um, and it's just fascinating to me that um, in some ways Gebser was this kind of new mutant who was listening to himself and and then also recognized that there would be unborn mutants yet to come who for whom these ideas would just be kind of normal mm -hmm. but gebster was kind of trying to explain them as clearly as possible in the language of his time right like the language of his time which is like poet scholar which is very sort of wordy and kind of like you got to look up a lot of words because you're like i don't really know if i know what this means right mm -hmm. whereas i would have loved to have seen gebster and when did gebster die 
1973. Okay. So Gebser dies in this really interesting time. Gebser lives through kind of like rock and roll, the beginning of rock and roll and the beginning of like soul and funk, like the very beginning of these things in the 60s and the early 70s. And, you know, for me, I'm always looking at like, what are the kids telling us about what is already always known in sort of mystical traditions, right? And I would have loved to have seen Gebser write poetry about the youth of today and how, especially poor street youth of today, you know, really, especially, but not only, like just youth in general, of how they're actually being diaphanous with their sort of like multimedia, like my TikTok and my Instagram. It's like, I have an Instagram of my TikTok, of my Facebook, right? It's like, these are diaphanous hyperlinks, right? Like I have all these faces and you can find me on these 17 platforms and they're all a different face that are reflecting me through to mm -hmm. the world. Like that to me is like, yeah, it's just basic to the kids. It's just basic, yeah. right? Like they don't need to under, they don't need to know what diaphaneity is to be diaphanous. And so I'm wondering, you know, just like, who are you excited about in the current media arts, like the movies you're watching, the music you're listening to, the cultural phenomenons that are art that you're tracking? Where do you see this like beautiful artistic reflection emergence of what Gebser has always been saying, but also just like what you've always been searching for. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I'm such a great, such a great line of inquiry because I've always tried to answer that question better. Like in the last chapter, I just drop a, a handful, a sprinkle of, of of different things that I found kind of intriguing or interesting. Um, in terms of a perspectival art or, or integral oriented, which doesn't mean like the artists who make it are integral, like you're saying, they're, they're just living it. And, and that's really one of the things that I think needs to be um, reiterated, which is when we're talking about, or when Gebser's talking about integral consciousness or a new structure of consciousness emerging in the world, it's not that people are self-consciously designing a new stage or a new structure. It's, it's happening to us and through us, and we're participating in its crystallization. We may be writing books or playing on TikTok or whatever, but we, we are participating in it. And so it's not so much a question of the, the, the volition and the will per se, um, in, in instigating it or catalyzing it. So yeah, we're all participating in it. But, you know, I think a lot of, um, I've been very drawn to, well, many different things, but uh, one of the books that's coming up next month for the Mutations Club, the book club is uh, this month, sorry, it's July already, Annihilation by Jeff Vandermeer. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, have, you, have you read that one? That, that's like I, It's on my list, but I love the movie. And like, I just bought his Dead Astronauts novel. Oh. Which is too. kind of like this interesting fragmentary, like there's one whole chapter where it just is one word repeated over and over and over for like 10 pages. <laughs> and it so really I, gives you that sense of like, oh, I could be listening to a multimedia video and it's just like five, a 20 second installation is the whole next chapter of this book, which is like white noise. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, like it's like, yeah. whoa, this is great multimedia text, you know? <laughs> but Vandermeer is, is, is fantastic and, uh, and that he's really, and I, I think this 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 goes for a lot of ecological art, art yeah. that is exploring what is you know hyper objects you mentioned, 
um, which is a concept coming out of the the humanities by Tim Morton talking about dark ecology and how you know our relationship with the non and again this is very academic western in the sense that it's a philosophical attempt to articulate a new relationship with the the more than human world right yes. to kind it's of it's like new animisms new yes. animisms are being born yes yeah new animisms animism itself is now you know very in the contemporary academia becoming more popular somehow which i find so interesting that that's happening it got um, it's cool it's got it it's got its new cool pants on <laughs> yeah yeah it's got it's, it's got new legitimizations and you know object-oriented ontology which is another aspect of that which relates to tim morton's work anyway a lot of that and i think that's sort of the the the, the context in which vandermeer wrote this because he's he's an environmentalist and he's he very much treats the non-human world as as persons and so I mean, that's the fundamental practice he has, right? When he was, even on his Twitter, is his Twitter is a fun feed. He, he has oh, like I need a, to check it out. Like a dash cam it. for his yard, which he's rewilded, and there's all these different critters he's always voicing and and uh, and recording, oh, wow. etc. But Annihilation, particularly, is a fun book in that you can read it in a weekend, and it's really exploring a, a like a, a sublime relationship with the non-human world through through the genre of eco-horror, right? And yes. it's a very subtle eco-horror. There's no, it's not like the film per se, where there's the the creepy bear monster and all the other right. stuff and the guns right. and- Right, they, they they action video gamed the, the novel idea. Yes, hear. a little bit, a little, <laughs> a little bit. bit. They added like a touch of like, okay, people are gonna fall asleep. The, philosoph the philosophy is horrifying. <laughs> You, you would need someone like maybe the the director behind uh, the witch or something I, I forget um um to, to to do something more along the lines of what the book does which is just it, it throws these characters into a situation a zone uh where everything appears to be as it's always been I mean I think it's like a, a Florida coastline um and yet the animals the environment, the presence of the place seems to be very much alive and getting under their skin and 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 infecting them somehow with the sense of the, he calls it the brightness in the book. But in this is a really beautiful and sublime nature mysticism in a way. And the, the way he talks about um, the biologist as the protagonist and and her voice in the in the novel is just again this sort of um, becoming with nature. The entire time becoming with the other and the mystery of here's where object oriented ontology comes in because there's towards the end of the book there's this wonderful moment where um she encounters this starfish in a tidal pool and in, in, a, in a kind of a flashback and she has this meeting with this starfish in a way where she's acknowledging that she knows everything about its taxonomy she's a, she's a biologist she studies these things it's like why she's there by these tidal pools and yet stumbling there in the dark, drunk one night and looking at this glowing starfish in the tidal pool, all of that knowledge completely drops away. And she's meeting this mysterious other, which she knows nothing about in, the, in a truer sense of the, of the word, knowing nothing. And yet that opens up for her this sense that if she doesn't know anything about this entity, she doesn't know anything about herself. And so there's this <laughs> mysterious communion of unknowing between yes. these two beings and it's so beautifully written and so yeah i think vandermeer's work is really exploring this this aperspectival turn which is moving away from treating things as 
objects and its and moving more as my, my friend J.F. Martell has been talking about lately uh, in immutations and on some of the classes he's been hosting, um, treating things as a thou, treating everything as a thou. Everything. And I think literature and art that that catalyzes that or, or, or gets us to encounter that is beautiful. And I'm always looking for that. So Vandermeer would be one of the, the contemporary artists I would definitely recommend. Totally. And um, I'm just going to throw a few out there. There's this kind of brilliant anthology that you can get called Bax, B-A-X. I think it's Best of American Experimental Writing. And they have like a journal every year and it's been out for like five years. And when I say experimental, I mean experimental. It's like, it's not necessarily designed to make you understand what the fuck is going on. Yeah. But it mixes fiction, hyperfiction, um, narrative magic, temporics, like, is it, you know, is it, is the whole story written backwards? You know, like this kind of like, is the poem written backwards? Is it in a mirror? Do you have to read it in a mirror? Is every other line blacked out? You know, like these kind of really strange methods of storytelling that are actually designed as almost like cryptics. Like, mm -hmm. it's like art that's cryptic. It's, you look at an image and you're like, am I supposed to read this image or am I supposed to look at the entire image? And sort of let it kind of do a woogly woo with me, you know, like, but the point also being that this art, these kinds of arts and these kinds of writings and multimedia, I think they're also designed to be traversed non-linearly. Yes, yes. Like, like, even though you're reading Vandermeer's book from beginning to ending, the ideas inside do loop-de-loops inside of you. Because there's this reflection, like, even what you just described, like, the character in the book having a flashback about meeting a starfish for the first time technically suddenly revealing herself to be unknown is like a super loop-de-loop -loop. i just went loop-de-loop -loop like four times right <laughs> in the book that might have taken like two pages but in the self trying to listen to that passage you go on the same journey of like, okay, so it's back in time, but now forward to the starfish, but now back to the protagonist, but but now from the protagonist to me, the reader's experience, go, oh no, right? Like we're in yeah. it deep now, it's psychedelic literature. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The literature is designed to give you a psychedelic entheogenic initiatory experience, just like Gebser's writing is. and. I want to take this moment just to read another poem of Gebser's because I'm feeling the Please need. Do. Yeah. Because I love, you know, I want Gebser to be in the room and I'm imagining Gebser's like, I'll read another poem now. <laughs> <laughs> so this one's called Spiritual Landscape. Wild berries clarified by frost, inhabitants of a transparent landscape. Spiritual vista of flowers reduced to their remote value, cold on the forehead. A stone hangs in the air like a bird, touching branches and roses as it flies, slightly weightless, yet never grave, easing my heart as it passes. Hands in bloom that never grasp, serene reservoir encompassed by vastness and distances so many that flow into veins while softly a star sleeps upon the table. Hmm. 
Ooh, wow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that poem particularly is such a good expression, poetic expression of, of diaphony, right? The, there is the sense of, of the immeasurable inwardness of things and an openness in their, in their, in their kind of shared transparency together. This, this field just opens up in the mind's eye. And I love that. What, what was it? The one, the line about the hand. Um, hands in bloom that never grasp. Yes. Hands in bloom that never grasp. It, it reminds me of um, a, uh, a, a work that I've recommended to my students to read in, in the Gepser class, Byung Chul Han's The Scent of Time. And, and, and it's, a, it's a wonderful text as a philosophical and I would argue poetic and short text exploring our relationship with time as moderns. And right towards the, the end, he's, he talks about Heidegger and friendly time and, and Heidegger's concept of a kind of open-handedness in relationship to the world, right? When the hand, this is Byung Chul Han paraphrasing him, he talks about when the hand hesitates, when, when it doesn't go to grab a thing as a tool, as an it, but when it hesitates with the world, it acquires a vastness, right? So just that line from, from Gepser is fantastic. Yeah, I mean, and there's this something about, so, so I study a lot of fucking Taoism, as you might know, <laughs> as people who are listening probably fucking yes. know. I try my best to be a good student of Taoism while recognizing that in most mental rational terms, I am a terrible student. I don't follow directions. I use things as inspiration, not as fact. <laughs> I don't, I'm not consistent with my practices. I just do whatever, whenever. So I'm a pretty terrible student in a, in a certain frame of studentism or pedagogy. I'm a, in a certain frame of pedagogy. I'm a, someone you don't want in your class because <laughs> I might not do anything the whole semester and then just hand in a project and be like, what the fuck is this? You know? Um, so, so all that being said, you know, there is something about all of a lot of mystery religions. And I would say that true Taoism is a mystery religion. It's like, mm -hmm. it is a full on esoteric path that is essentially shamanic in nature or witchcraftian in nature. And it just so happens that we're on the tail end of everything becoming sanitized by imperial governments so that they can be like cultural artifacts. Yay. Mm -hmm. But they're not cultural artifacts. They're cultural ecosystems that are still mutating right now. Taoism is still happening now. It's not a it's not happening as a in this past that is somehow solid that you can grasp and go, that's Taoism. It's like no Taoism is an idea that people came up with to control people in a state government because there was like a million Taoisms, just like there's a million animisms. You go to different places in the world and they have animism, which is, you could say, is like a kind of thread that connects principles between disparate groups that are all earth-based, land-based, mm -hmm. place-based people. But then the specific animisms that are in each of those places are vastly different. No, it's this god and that god, and that's the god of the bumbleberry bush, and that's the god of the thunder. and we don't have hurricanes, so there's no God of hurricanes. You know what I mean? Like it's very specific to place. So I speak of both animism as this kind of like prima materia of like, 
you look at enough of these old esoteric traditions and you try to get the oldest non-sanitized version of the text and that you know lots of people like to do that which is great people like us who are like what was the original <laughs> what's the original edition um and it's just for me it's like you find this way in which there's cross-cultural knowings that are very like almost identical to be like like it's like the same face staring back at you the same eyes stare back at you the same eyes you're like oh and i say that to be very clear because it actually absolutely is encountering another that has a face and is looking back at you it's not like oh i see it from over there and it doesn't see me it's like no in order to see this i must allow it to see me so we must see eye to eye and so in these texts and all of the translations whenever a good translator is really doing that as well allowing themselves to be seen and transmit that which i think is what you're doing with gebster you're saying i'm letting what gebster saw see me right i'm letting what gebster was looking at and in communication with actually see me as a kind of daisy chain in this art in this art project we're all doing through time Right, like you're collaborating with Gebser on a remix, and Gebser's dead, and Gebser's probably like, "Thanks for the, you know, like right on." Now I'm on Spotify top ten again, you know, <laughs> like, or whatever top twenty five esoteric hits of the of the new age, you know. Now suddenly Gebser yeah. is back on top, you know. But I think of it like this, and I think of these contextual animisms that are pre-codified, pre-sanitized, which is essentially like folk witchcraft. You go back in time, it's fucking, it's just like, okay, so you have a sect, great, it's a religion, great. How many people are in your religion? 12. You know what I mean? Like, it's kind yeah. of like, oh, how many people are in your religion? 150, 100. And you're like, huh. And how many of these religions are there? Like a thousand. And you're <laughs> like, oh, this is kind of more realistic, actually. Just like when I walk through ecosystems, I'm like, this is this ecosystem, and I walk, hundred feet away and I'm like it's kind of a different ecosystem but they're together but they're different and you recognize like that's the world yes exactly. the world is just really specific and yet completely interconnected and fractalized and diaphanous right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and, and you that, know I, go go I ahead I was gonna go say ahead. I mean that that's really to, to kind of orbit around Gepster a little bit I, a huge part of his his thinking as the concept, he says, okay, where the context of the book, Ever Present Origin, was a moment in European history where it was the apocalypse, essentially, catastrophe, you know, collapse of nation states, total war, nuclear annihilation, all of that was on the table and it was happening in, in some extent, you know, throughout Europe and the world. So he was writing this in a time where where a lot was breaking open and imploding and intensifying. And so for for Gebser, it, it was the, the book is in a sense a kind of uh, remedial text in that, okay, here's how we understand why all of this is happening in terms of our own relationship with place-based thinking, with context, and our loss of that relationship and our tendency towards the abstract. And what, what we are actually possessed by, and just by we, I mean modernist, colonial, 
Europe, you know, and the culture it was exporting around the world is saying, okay, what is the structure of consciousness that that is an extension of and an expression of, and how do we get off that train, you know, because that train is, is, is obviously coming crashing into earth. And we might say that today, like Bruno Latour says today, we are earthbound and we could choose to make that a catastrophe and crash land back into the sort of interrelational living Gaian ecology, or we can find a way to actually transition better or move back towards becoming exactly what you're talking about in terms of the animistic relationships with place. And Gepser is saying the same, essentially saying the same thing. He says, we're moving away from abstraction. The integral and the, and the aperspectival is a return to the concrete. He says, it's, it's about concretization, not abstraction. It has to be embodied and lived. And even the way he talks about these different structures of consciousness, the whole history of, uh, history of consciousness, um, not in a linear sense either that there, there are living interrelationships. The terminology is, you mentioned a few, the archaic, magic, mythic, mental. But for Gebser, if you read it, the structure of his writing is such that when he's talking about any one of them, he's always referencing and contextualizing it in relationship to the others. Even if he's historically talking about a time where animism and the magical and mythical structure may have been more predominant, he's still talking about the mental, right? He's still talking about the future in those contexts. So yes, his writing style, even, even that I think is attempting to convey the living interrelationship of all of this. And again, the context of this is to attempt to help the readers of his time and then our time, I think as well, defixate on some of these um, ironically, and you talk about this quite a bit, the, the sort of death drive of this modernist culture, because in, in some ways, how else do you read what we're doing? But this very interesting yearning towards annihilation and destruction, self-destruction. There's a, there's a kind um, of kink, there's a kind of mystical sexual kink at the heart of Western European monoculture. Yeah. And it's very interesting because, you know, this is where it gets into like why I do what I do. And I do what I do not because I was a scholar. I was a scholar because I had to understand real experiences that were happening in my actual body and psyche and mind and soul um, that are just, you know, crazy. They're just magically crazy stories that I have in my life. Like where it's like, okay, there's, this is a real thing that's happening. Someone just like possession, ghosts walking through walls and being like, what the fuck? Like, like spirits talking to you. And then you hear that, you know, the future, like shit. That's just like, okay. I'm like, am I schizophrenic? Am I schizotypal? And then having to study enough to be like, oh no, there's just an entire world that doesn't categorize these phenomenon through the mental rational lens. Essentially they mm -hmm. categorize them through the bodily mythic magical archaic lenses technically the somatic lenses right the ones in which you're like something is happening we don't know what it is but it's actually real and we have to meet it in a way that is actually honoring its realness even if you think that it's an intangible fixation in your mind you're like but maybe not maybe it's a spirit your ancestor trying to talk to you and the somatic psychology psychotherapy somatic psychotherapy and the kind of mysticism of like the dark night of the soul and coming down to earth and the reality that like, you know, when I was trained as a dancer and a theater person, I think 
if I could distill one of the amazing distillations of that world, of that, that kind of artistic world called physical theater or ritual theater or acting or whatever dance, modern dance, what you want to call it, is the animate, the built in for a lot of them, not all of them, but many. Now, I'm not talking about ballet because I wasn't a ballet dancer, but the animistic, necessary animistic relationship the mover must have with gravity as a being. Hmm. And this is like, this is like mysticism 101 in modern dance class. Be with gravity. Don't fight against it. Work with it. Ride it like a wave, like a surfer riding a wave. So all of, already you're like, wait, gravity, that means gravity isn't fixed because it's a wave. Mm -hmm. And suddenly you're waving, your, your body is rippling through a rippling gravitational field connecting with the ground, which is just another body, right? More, a body of Earth. And having to sort of ripple your way to interaction with that force, with that, with that body. So falling becomes an art form in these art forms. Just the act of falling. So you think of like Pratt falling of like Charlie Chaplin. That's like part of what I'm talking about. The like interacting with gravity in such a way that produces beautiful aesthetics and unexpected results that actually give people emotional responses. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, it's like, oh, you, you start descending very slowly. You're going to have an emotional response if you fall in slow motion. People, oh, you're going to have a weird emotional responses. People watching you are going to have strange emotional responses. If you take 10 minutes, like in Bouteau, to descend to the ground and you really are present the whole time, everyone is changed by that threshold. Wow. And what I hear Gebster and you and, and some in our circle talking about and what I want to elaborate on right now is just the future descending, both as a kind of we were reaching for a future high above the ground. You know, this is the kind of arc of the physical theater of Europe, right? Reaching for a future, yes. reaching for the sun, reaching for space that was above the ground, trying to escape from the ground. And the future is starting to descend towards us. So in, in one way, we could read that as sort of like ceremonially, magically, like we did it. We were successful. We called the gods and the gods came down. We even talk about this, right? They come, the, the, the bolt, lightning bolts from heaven, right? They're coming down. Mm -hmm. But I like to think of it as also like if we allow ourselves to actually be possessed by the future that is descending, where's it going to take us? It's descending. <laughs> so the future, even in its own weird mental rational logic that we're using to tell this narrative with these kinds of metaphors and similes, is like taken to its logical conclusion, we're going down because the yes, future is yes. descending and it's going to carry us with it. And we wanted that to happen. Yeah. We as a culture were like, why else would you call gods down? Why else would you call the future down unless you wanted to be swept away and it's going that way? And the mm -hmm. down is, again, this relationship with gravity. But like you mentioned, can we have this soft meeting with the body of the earth that is like a modern dancer falling? No one gets hurt. The energy is dispersed in this like fluorescent 
limp like this, you know, like when a dancer goes down to the floor and turns it into like a kind of like full body on the ground, on the back, legs akimbo, like mm -hmm. a starfish. There are there yeah. are actual dance moves called like sea star oh, that wow. are about I didn't know that. Yeah, like the, the one of the yeah, I, I was trained in axis syllabus and it's a pun because it's C like the letter C dash star because in the technical learning of it you make two c shapes with your body like two fetal positions mm. so you mm. c shape so you make a c shape and it's a c star but in the middle of it if you actually watch people doing this they look like starfishes being tossed into something like a like if you tossed a a hockey puck on a on a hockey puck and it slid across the floor like you toss it and it actually slides it doesn't bounce and jump but it actually lands and slides mm -hmm. or and you change the hockey puck to like a starfish and just imagine that you could sort of like throw a starfish in the air like a ninja star or something and it actually instead of hitting the ground and clattering it actually somehow changed its own shape so that it when it hit the ground it laid down and rolled and slid and then just got back up again because it had all this momentum that it spiraled out and then gathered back up and just stood up again. <laughs> so this is the kind of dancing that I was learning and I was like, I'm not learning dancing. This is like biological mimicry. Fractals and spirals and time moving through us as momentum and physics, you know, just like physics. I'm learning physics in a physical body. And I think that like, while I'm not doing a whole lot of movement these days, I'm always thinking about how does this move? Mm -hmm. How does this idea move through us? How do these ideas that Gebser was presenting or channeling move in the world? Where is, how is the future moving? And how is the past moving and not static, but actually dancing its way in the present? And how can we, use art and art making like a poesis. How can we engage poesis in such a way that when impacts happen, racial impacts, class impacts, eco-genocidal impacts, that it was just a heat wave here. That was a fucking eco-impact. I was impacted by the heat wave. Yeah. But the, the, the trick is these impacts are coming and they're just coming. They're just bang, 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 bang. You, you wake up, you look on the news every day. There's a new, okay, we fucked up people. We fucked up. There's a problem over here. There's an yeah. intensification. And this is the, this is what I want to get into with you is practices and ideas about softening the impacts of intensification, which mm -hmm. is a gravitational and movement based conversation in my opinion yes. but also in lots you can we can look at this through many lenses right um but this is it how do we soften the impacts of these in, of this intensification and what the fuck even is the intensification jeremy <laughs> I, I love that that the example you give of the of the softening the impact of a dancer as they fall i used to practice uh, martial arts when i was younger in my teens and in early 20s yeah. and uh learning how to fall was one of the most important things that was like one of the foundational things you need foundation because you otherwise you're going to break your bones you're it's not you're not going to have a good time you need to learn how the art of falling and also rolling back up so love that i think that's a, such a wonderful um 
response to Latour's work, which is very often talking about uh, framing this as, as, you know, we are earthbound, that there, there's a politics of the terrestrial or the politics of the new climatic regime that he talks about, but he doesn't talk about how we land, right? So, so I, I, I think this is one of the most important conversations and it really essentially um, sums up everything we're doing. And yes. I, I feel that resonance between what you're doing. Oh, totally. Doing. Like you're my colleague this what, in this, this like, and you're my colleague in this kind of like meta, this meta work, which is like, we all have our own approaches and we all have our own inspirations of like desires of like, I want mm -hmm. to soften in this way that looks like this aesthetically, right? Like there's aesthetics to the techniques that we're employing yes. that are different and that's what makes us different artists and that's what's beautiful that i can talk to you and just be like yeah you're doing it your way and i'm doing it my way but absolutely how do we it's like it's not just soften the impacts of the intensification but creating a beautiful aesthetics that softens the impact yes, of the intensification yes. i don't know if there's any other way like i, <laughs> I think aesthetics are necessary to, to, to yes. somehow soften this to, <laughs> right. to transform it uh, so the the poetic and the artistic is is um, existentially being called for here if we want to actually land on earth in a way that is not as destructive. I think what we're seeing are some of those hard landings, like you mentioned, the 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 warming right now on the Pacific Northwest and West Coast. Um, you know, one of the things that I made a connection with with Gepser's work it talks about intensification as a as a as a temporic dimension. Uh, the, the sense, and this is something that he goes into quite a bit of the history around the, um, the historical intensification of modernity, industrial revolution, the discovery of fossil fuels and the steam engine, um, the kind of industrial technological turn that really ramped up but was sort of latent in the seed of modernity to begin with. Right, it's like the Bronze becomes... Age sort of precluded the internet age. Sure. Like, yeah. like digging yes. for ore and learning how to be a blacksmith contains the seed of everything we, you just talked about. Mm -hmm. There's these latencies. And you could even say this, because I've, I've thought about Gepser in this context too, that really everything, all, all states and cities, et cetera, like agricultural societies, generally speaking, had the, like these latent seeds of the mental structure of consciousness just oh, yeah. way back then. Yes. Um, so intensification in this context is 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 the heating up of time and the speeding up of time i use the image of uh in my book uh, uh of the motorcycle and paul virilio talks about this concept of the logic of modernity is speed but the problem with this as gepser points out is that we don't have control over time the mental rational doesn't master time the kind of mastery we're talking about is far more artistic animistic creative participatory that's where we need to be to actually encounter and 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 work with this intensification but we don't have that per se in our culture we don't have an attitude around that so time appears to us as as a an invading force and he says he talks about the eruption of time Gepser talks about this as eruption with an i means something coming in from the outside and even though it doesn't really for our culture, it does, right? Because we don't know how to handle time. We want to spatialize it. We want to measure it and make it take us to the moon and to Mars and to transhumanist techno singularities, right? Whatever. So it has, we have a very directive oriented sense of time, but time is so much more than that. 
And right. so we can't, we're kind of on this roller coaster ride or this motorcycle. We're not in control. We're unleashing these intensities with our, um, with our collective global activities, but we also were oscillating wildly between the elation of these new powers we're unleashing in the world and then total anxiety because we have no idea how to control them and we seem to be going for the ride now. Right. And so when it comes to something like climate and temps, um, you know, Walter Benjamin talked about the connection between time and temps and weather and warming. And so there's a sense in which time is showing up right now for many of us as, as climate, as the warming of the air, of, of heat, quite literally an intensification. Right. Uh, an intensification so there's that. of the seasonal cycle. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. So, so like these yeah. themes. Um, and, and this is probably one of the most difficult things. And, and one of the questions on how we land is how do we reconcile time in this much more multidimensional uh, uh, qualitative way and even poetic artistic way? How do we totally. reconcile that? Because yeah. if we don't, um, we're going to, in, going to increasingly have these problems just in terms of crashing into time and time crashing into us. Right. So for me, I'm, I'm very interested in exploring this with my students. How do we, um, borrowing a, somewhat of, a, of an academic uh, framing of it, but how do we cultivate uh, the subject as a temporal being in relationship and interrelationship? How do we cultivate the subjectivity of time and yes. the interrelationality of that subjectivity. Like, okay, I am a process. I am in a living relationship with other processes and beings, which are also across time and space. Right. So like yeah, it's being, a very- And like time being a being that is almost like yes. a fluid that we live inside of. Right, right. We Seeing us much more fluidically and dynamically stretched across and distributed like a rhizome over past, present and future. That's right. How do we cultivate that in our imagination? And then also what are the practices that help that, like Gebser beautifully describes the, the, the blooming in the hand, uh, in the open hand, because it does require um, a certain willingness to come to an awareness of how stuck we are in clock time. Like even like, I'm sure you and I both feel pressures of how am I gonna pay the rent? So how terrible. am I gonna like, yeah, all of these, extreme mental rational demands uh, that, that want to get us locked into this clock time. I think the last year during the pandemic, we had a lot of, and presently still, but particularly during lockdown, we had a lot of invitations and disruptions in terms of the pace of life in Temporex. Right. And a lot of my students were saying, hey, you know, I'm, I'm working from home or like I can't see anybody. So I've just been paying more attention to my garden. I've been seeing a flower grow out of my window for the first time in my life. I've never seen a flower grow before that's over right. time. And like, that's fantastic. That's great. You know, pay attention to those kinds of things. Right. So there are many different practices, but um, generally that's what I'm interested in exploring. How can we become more aware of time? How do we become more aware and imagine ourselves as temporal beings and temporal subjects mm -hmm. in active relationship with other things? And part of that is, you know, some, for some folks who are in the class, uh, interestingly enough, a lot of them started gardens, like patio gardens, backyard gardens, growing tomatoes. And I saw that as an opportunity. We'll pay attention to the, the timing of these plants. When do they like to be watered? When do they grow? Does the moon influence this at all? The moon cycles um, really begin to bring that into your own 
attention and awareness. So it becomes a kind of background ebb and flow so that you are constantly aware of these different temporal beings moving on their own pace, intersecting with your own temporality. So a lot of this is like playful practices and exercises to become present to time and become present to the non-human. Right. So yeah, totally. but uh, there's so many ways to yeah, this. I mean, and this is kind of like if people have been following, you know, I know that uh, this is I, I did this podcast where I waded into the slippery waters and I it was titled Time as Erotic Chi because mm -hmm. it was like my way of channeling the very edge of my own understanding with the process you're talking about, which is that if I engage with time and I have been time as death, right? Death and time, they're mm -hmm. very similar, you know, <laughs> like this is it. So time and death being almost like two facets of the same prism and sort of having been really practicing living that way for a few years now and not saying I'm a master because it's really easy to get sucked back into a different kind of relationship with time. It's very, very easy and it feels forced in a way, you know, like when we're forced to go to clock time rather than island time, you know, it's like, well, I my body doesn't want to be at that place at 3 p.m. Maybe it would be 3.45 p.m. That's when my actual body would actually be ready to be at that place, you know, but we don't live in that that context in the, the West here and, and the thing. And that's that's one of the practices. But, you know, as I was, this time is erotic chi thing is like, how do I look back at the eyes that are looking at me? That's one way. And, and actually receive the wisdom that they're trying to give me. That part of me is absolutely not wanting to receive because it actually means I have to slow down and do different things than I was thinking I needed to do because there's a body clock there's a body to do list and there's a mind to do list or a mental rational to do list and a magical to do list you know and the to do lists require different ways of being like I have to literally become a different person in order to engage with these different mental states, if we want to call them, or developmental mental stages, but there's so much more than that. They're actually full ecosystems that I'm not in control of fully, right? Like I have to shape shift and actually become under the auspices of those forces. I have to be essentially in some way, allow myself to be puppeted by a different way of being that isn't like mental rational. Mm -hmm. And um, it's just so fascinating to me because like we, I use words in order to try to navigate. That's all I'm doing. Like, like many people are using words because they want certainty and fact in order to create stability in their life. And I, I say, I want that too. But actually what I want is words to, enough word play to allow me to create stability, which then allows me to find the unknown hmm. through and through the same word play. So from stability into this, I don't know, place, which is the future coming and being like, you don't fucking know me, you know, like you don't know me. And I think that it's real that people do need practices that are familiar in order to deal with the unfamiliar or the defamiliarization of the familiar, which is what's happening, right? It's like, I was comfortable being this familiar with how things are why it's not oh shit it's changing and so finding those practices but not just practices those living relationships mm -hmm. that you can be with over time which give you a sense of being in time together mm. 
not alone, like the mental rational is alone in time, which is scary as fuck. Like you're on the motorcycle, you're strapped to the motorcycle on Akira, right? Riding down the neon highway and there's a singularity point and you don't fucking know. And it's like, and the image of that is aesthetically beautiful because it's such a fucking image. Yes. But to live like that on the daily is a is a fucking prescription is a is a recipe for adrenal burnout and hypo fatal hypo hypo pituitary adrenal axis dysfunction, which I have experienced in my life for sure. So I I talk about these things both from the poetical, we're using words, but also from the neurobiological of like class race, you know. Uh, digestive function because that's coming down to earth is like knowing where you get your food and mm -hmm. you don't want to eat food that makes you sick and there's a real practicality like i just want to bring it down to earth because it's like you and i we're in this numinous awesome space where like we're just playing with words and it's so much fun to to be with another word geek and you know poetic geek you know i love it so much but then for people who are like, this is so heady, I'm like, no, no, no. This is how I eat food. <laughs> this is how I decide how to what to buy at the grocery store. And how do I connect my gut with my mental rational to make informed decisions at the grocery store is not is not really heady. It's not abstract. It's literally like you gotta make a choice, you need to fucking eat food. How do you have an appetite even? Like what even is your appetite? And how has our appetites, how have our appetites been essentially hijacked by the modern world? Because it's really so real that like, we're coming into this work with dysregulated appetites for what mm -hmm. we think we want. Oh, I want only action movies. I only want to drive fast at night. Like those are enculturated, um drugs in a sense that are like maybe we don't maybe our actual appetite is not there mm -hmm. and and i'd love to hear how you navigate this for yourself because you're 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 changing channels all the time right like you're like mental rational magical archaic but but the concretization of all of these in an integral cooperation to actually bring improvement to relationship in the real not like internet jockeying for debating or something, but like, how do you live with your partner and how do you eat food and whatever you're doing? How do you make love in an integral way? Like it's really at the tip of my, you know, it's really at the edge of my fingertips being like, yes, and I'm so confused and I just <laughs> even love talking about it, you know? Yes. I don't know if there's a, a special way, I mean, you know, what's interesting with, with Gepser's work is, uh, and, and now you've read it, so you know there's not as much of a explicit, here are the practices we can do, or nope. here are some somatic practices you could get back into the magical structure, nothing like that. It's a all. view right. teaching. It's just a story. It's yes. a view teaching. Yes. And what's interesting is in the integral world, in like integral theory, Ken Wilber, transpersonal psychology, there's a plethora of practices. They're always talking about different modalities, different meditation practices, 
creating these modules. So, you know, you've got yoga here and you've got, you know, some kind of meditation practice here, and then you've got like some kind of exercise work and diet. So you got, you can plug everything in with Gepser is none of that. Um, and yet he does very often comment on daily living in his writing. And for the most part, I think it has to do with, um, the sense of transparency. And one of the things he says is how we shout, what we hear in the forest is, is how we're shouting in the forest or what we shout is what we hear, right? So there's this sort of old German axiom about echoes and answers. And what he suggests is, and this is, is a very difficult humbling practice in daily life. It is to essentially take all the blame onto yourself for any kind of in, interrelational issues that are going on first so you can really kind of see who am I? What are my boundaries? What am I putting out into the world? Let me question that first. So I get a sense of myself in, in the world. And so I can become transparent to actually meet another person, to actually overcome myself in some way. Uh, so that, that's what he always brings up as like a daily living practice. Um, which is like, for me, which is like literally the peak of all traditions, right? It's like- All traditions talk all, about It's yeah. like, how do you live every moment from a place of true honesty. Yeah. And then honesty then and... and then going beyond the honesty into something that is unknown together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a, a, a genuine meeting of the other yes. in that honesty and that openness. And and easier said than done, right? And it, I, I want to read actually a quote from uh, a later work of Gebser's. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's a, it's a short one and and I think it 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 helps us appreciate that I think even Gepser understood that this was not an easy task. And he says, our task is to weed the innermost ground of our being every day to prepare this ontological breakthrough, in quotes, without squinting into the distance after the great experience. So it's a really like come back home to the present and to yourself and to your daily life and just do what you can to, again, weed the innermost ground of your being to be present, to be open, to be transparent, to be a little bit more ego transparent in day-to-day -day life. I mean, just as a daily practice of being human. Yes. Uh, and then in the context of everything you were talking about, which I certainly do share with all the hats that I have to put on and, and making money and career stuff and living in the modern world, it's very difficult to, to move into, let's say, um, a sense of timelessness working with the garden or something along those lines, right? Um, to get off that motorcycle in this day and age is there's so much driving us to stay on it. So I, I recognize that this is probably, and for me as well, it's, it's a daily practice to attempt to kind of come back to the present and uh, open my awareness enough to be, I don't know, sensitive to these interrelationships, to be sensitive to time in a different way so it's a, it's a daily humble little practice of coming back to the present and then i think becoming aware of all the ways we get kind of sucked back in um right. a, a lot of this is like i i use this from from brant and, and talking about Taoism, yeah. but the the themes of and you probably could comment on this better but rigidity versus plasticity or pliability um, we were really fixated on this specific form of time. There's a lot driving us and, and coercing us yeah. um, and substituting our own will and desires for, for these drives right. every day. So how do we step out of that? And how do we practice stepping out of that and becoming much more fluidic and flexible? Right. Because, I mean, honestly, 
I, I go to this metaphor from, from McLuhan. I know I'm jumping to McLuhan. Yeah. Um, but McLuhan, I think, has some interesting synergies with Gepser in, in his, uh, uh, his, his discussion around James Joyce's uh, Ulysses and Finnegan's Wake, but particularly Ulysses. And you could see that as a very, Connor Habib talks about Ulysses as this occult text, um, yeah. which is very rhizomatic and magical and potent and catalyzing in very different ways from Gepser. Um, but the, the protagonist in that story is, is a shapeshifter himself in, in that he's in the McLuhan language, he's, he's kind of putting on and taking off the whole history of, of, uh, of consciousness and the text oriented and electronic and oral and the word play. It's like, you could just see Joyce like shapeshifting all of the different archeology span of, of consciousness back and forth in the present. I mean, that's the, that would be, that would be the, the, the image I would say, like we could stick to in terms of like, we are that number one, yeah. right? A, we are that at all times, the structures are all present, but B to be creatively and openly doing that, you know, working with um, the present in a conscious participatory way, bringing forth what's needed and then, you know, allowing to kind of bring it back when it's not. I mean, again, that's a daily practice, right? right? But that's the image I get. And we've talked about this a little bit before with um, my students. I, I, I've, I've used the image of the Calabi Yao to oh, just yeah. show like, it's this really fun trippy image of all of these manifold dimensions kind of flowing into right. each other, a bit a bit more complicated than a torus. Um, right, it's, but it's it, like a super torus, toroid or yeah. something. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I, I try to use those images to kind of to, to instill a sense that whatever this intensification of consciousness is, it's, it's, it feels like that, right? It's open, it's dynamic, it's interrelational. And um, if we can, again, I think the number one thing for Gepser, and again, so many of the contemplative traditions around the world, um, the, the, the saving power is, is this obligation to the present, to always come back to the present. Earlier, you mentioned the gods are all coming down. Yeah. And uh, Gepser talks about this with Holderlin in Ever-Present Origin. It's a, I'm going to paraphrase the poem, but essentially it's, it, uh, he says something along the lines of, behold, it is the eve of time. One God after another is coming home. Therefore be present, right? So, so the, the present is really where that openness and, and, and transparency is, is, a, is not only a saving grace, but also um, a lending power to attempt to deal with the complexities and, and everything else that we're expressing totally. here, living in the yeah. quote unquote modern world and being earthbound. Yeah. And, you know, this, there's a few things that I want to sort of, you know, wrap up here with you. And I mean, there's, there's like so many doors open. I just like, it's so real that this is the work and the play and it's just so much fun. But I was thinking of a few things. One is just like most spiritual traditions do talk about blooming. And of course, when you're on psychedelics, you see these kind of kaleidoscopic infinite blooms that sort of happen in your visual center. And, you know, there is a sense of like reaching for something with your with your hand in bloom, which is open, right? Reaching for something. But the mental rational thinks to grasp it turn that turns that open hand into a fist which is a grabbing you know claw and 
if we start to touch things the way we might want to be touched erotically, maybe we do want to be clawed, but there is probably not the first thing. <laughs> so there is something about like how to touch other skins that is actually quite like this Tai Chi or this soft reaching. This like the hand is in bloom and there's tensegrity in the hand. It's not like just this floppy whatever, but the tensegrity is calibrated so that when the, when you touch the other it's not this fucking like jab it's actually like that again that softening of an impact of like oh i'm touching you and then maybe i touch a little harder and a little harder and a little harder and you want your massage therapist to do that right like i'm going to test this out how deep can i go without it hurting you know you kind of palpate you palpate the other body and i do think of like how are we palpating time how is time palpating us? Are we bracing against the touch of time? And then time is like hitting a hard fascial network, you know? Or are we playing with time? Are we wrestling with time? That's a way of touching, right? Wrestling is a way of touching that's in between like fighting and hugging, you know? <laughs> yes. Like there yes. are these modes that are fluid is what I'm saying is that there are these modes of action or tasking reaching is a task right it's a task just reach okay that's i can do that but to do that with a certain kind of aesthetic quality which is fluid in nature so that your touching can be responsive to what is being touched and vice versa and i think that this is where i really feel like acting theater somatics massage really tell us you can have all your wild fantasies ideas desires you really can but the moment upon which you try to have them the the ground by which we try to have our fantasies and desires is one of like flesh and blood so it behooves us to have these soft landings because i can wish for a million dollars but if you drop that million dollars in gold coin from the sky from a thousand feet that's very bad right it's like how how is the is what how is what you're reaching for coming to you and how we say that or how we yeah how we talk about it how we pray for it how we wish for it how we sing about it i think the how is extremely important to use our language to soften the blow of what we're reaching for mm -hmm. and not and also to not strangle what we're reaching for because it has to be it's that double double thing it's like i'm reaching for it which is a kind of persistent forcing of something to happen that isn't happening naturally i'm actually in enacting my will upon the world by reaching which could be considered like a violent action in like some mystical way right it's like i'm penetrating the world to get what i want how to not take that to its extreme like we've done in the West, we have done that drilling for oil, right? Like all of these hyper penetrative, very sharp, very rough, very loud, very fast. You don't want to be around an oil drill. You go and go deaf, you know, like it's bad for your health to be around an oil drill, right? So yeah, just bringing that into the conversation that there is this kind of like touching that's happening. The eyes, yes. not, not just the eyes looking back, which is a kind of, that's, that's a real diaphaneity too, but from the eyes looking back, a sense of touching and being touched. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's such a, 
again, I keep thinking of Byung Chul Han because he talks about that in the context of Heidegger's concept of, of grabbing something so that objects in the world are ready at hand for us. And so when you uh, flick on a light switch, you're not really encountering that as anything other than a tool or an it or a means to turn on the light for your will, for your whatever you want to do. Um, but to really encounter it differently for a moment is to actually meet it in a way. Um, so, so you know, which is why I think I like so much of weird ecology as a literary literary genre, or even horror sometimes, is a good way of kind of subverting uh, that sort of violence upon the world. And I think the reason why it does respond, in turn, in this sort of destructive intensification, is is exactly the, what you said in the sense of we've we've already kind of shoved time. We've, we've reached out for it, assuming that it would take the shape of a clock or a resource or something that's ready at hand for us to consume and extract. And so there's a kind of call and response in that way. There's, it, well, we're going to, the type of time that closes around the hand that grabs for clock time is going to o- overcome that grabbing. You reach for the, the light switch, you reach for the tool, the time tool, and instead you get something much stranger or you get your hand burning, you know, is exactly what's happening to us now is we're, we're getting burned by this intensification of climate and complexity and ecology. And so, yes, I think, I think um, the, the gentle handedness, not just the open hand, but the hand that rests on the shoulder, the hand that holds the other is really, and again, this is, this is like 101, like, meet the other, like treat every other as a thou. I mean, do you want to re- like, how do you do that? You, you don't go to punch them necessarily. Um, I mean, there may be some territorial meeting of the other that happens all the time in, happens in all the time. nature, et cetera. But, but still, there's still this relationality that's always going on. I mean, think about like, everything's communicating, negotiating. You talked about like, our gut biome a little bit. And Barbara Carlson talks so much about the, the microbiome and, and, and how the microbes are always kind of crossing communication with each other and shedding their DNA and exchanging DNA. So everything's handshaking all the time, even quote unquote, you know, I don't know, some kind of violent encounter is, is no, not it's totally, so... it's, it's the same thing only intensified. Yes. yes. I mean, you see like violence is merely the natural, predilection of bodies to touch intensified to a very like over threshold degree in which like really strong effects happen you know and that's what we call trauma right it's like we call Mm -hmm. trauma when something is so intense that it can't be processed by the capacity that's present to receive that intensification like it's basic it's not like all trauma is bad it's like Whenever there's an intensification that cannot be received and distributed and absorbed softly by the body self organism network, you get these weird maladaptations that we call trauma. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. get these rips and tears that now have scars. It's like it's not it's not the same anymore. And all the mystical traditions tell us that that's going to happen. And we must turn that into the blessing. We must take the poison and turn it into the medicine by which we then go back out into our society or our community and share generously of the knowledge or the wisdom or the the fruits of our discovery of what happens after one is traumatized, right? 
And yes. I think we have a real, I think we just have a real opportunity um, here in the West to actually just admit that we're in the beginning phases of our own funeral. Mm-hmm. And that we've been given the opportunity to participate in the funeral, which is actually a great blessing. Mm-hmm. Because most people think about it, you don't get to participate in your funeral. It's like you're gone. But I'm saying that time itself is giving us this amazing gift, which is please participate in your own dying. It's going to happen whether you like it or not. But we're giving you all of these aesthetic possibilities, options, opportunities to actually decide how you want to participate as a network of beings in this funerary process that is like like we rang the dinner bell it's happening buddy you know like yes and how do we turn that funerary dirge into something that's also like maybe not just melancholic maybe not just melancholic maybe it's ecstatic and some at sometimes lamentory you know there's lamentation but then there's also like dance party you know like Mm -hmm. If we get to actually participate in our own dying as a culture and as individuals, how might we do that in this diaphanous way that actually, um, it's like, it's like an op. It's just like wow, we got this great opportunity to make some really great performance art that is never going to happen again. You know, <laughs> like it's really like this great opportunity, right? And to get over the fear that oh well, I'm not a performer. Right. Like I can't I'm not good enough to participate in the funeral. I'm like, no, no, no. We've got this children's choir over there. You don't need right. Like to be able to give people the most accessibility to what's actually happening, which is I don't care who you are or what skill set you have. You're being invited to participate. Yes. Right. Like there's a reality here that like time itself is being like, I want you. You know, like, and it's pointing to every single person. And that pointing is a different intensification because everyone's got their own aesthetic desires and fates and, and, you know, epigenetic stuff. But the point being is that nobody gets left out of this. Nobody. And I think, you know, for me in the last few years, it's been a just a, like a core practice is remembering that the the generosity of death as love and be like wow ever-present origin death is kind of ever-present too mm-hmm. so gebzer talks about the ever-present origin we could talk about the the ever-present return to origin which is death because they're yeah. the fucking same thing so the ever-presentness mm-hmm. is this secure attachment thing which is like this is actually the most stabilizing thing ever yeah like yeah, it's happening that's what Gebster talks about with Rilke and in was it really solving the problem of death, but overcoming it as uh, internally, right? As this right. spooky thing or this end of the, of the ego or the end of time uh, and, and spiritually overcoming it means yes, recognizing that intensity of the present, that death is already in us life, of course, as well, like that life and death, are integral to each other and transparent to each other in the present and, and really coming into an awareness of that. Like, I can't say I've, I've, I've successfully achieved that in any kind of stable way, 
But I do recognize that in Gepser's writing and in many different contemplative traditions to learn to die before you die yes, uh, is this sense of ultimately um, that's the way I, I would hope that we all go out, yes. materially speaking, but also culturally, because as you're saying, whether or not materially as a species, we are done during the Anthropocene, right. we need to prepare to allow a culture which has celebrated the extension of the ego in space and time towards even a transcendent, a reaching up to the gods, like, please give us immortality, essentially, yes, or we'll yeah. climb up there and grab it ourselves. <laughs> Take it. Like, that's over. Yeah. You know, there was a particular line where Gepser says, you know, um, that, that the, the way in which he said it, you know, the, the, the time that we are progressing towards a greater future, that form of time is already over it's already dead, you know, it, we are living in, in a sense already in the afterlife. And not, yes. that's not what Gebser said, but the, this but is yes. essentially what he's right. saying. That right. He's saying we're at the funeral. He's saying, he's yeah. saying, yo, we're at the funeral. Didn't you, don't you get it? You're acting like this. You're acting like grandpa's still alive. We're at the funeral for grandpa. Yes, right? exactly. Um, exactly. And, and when we can recognize the actual context we're actually in, that's when the opening for acts like that's when we can ask the much more interesting questions right right and now those questions lead to much more interesting investigations about how well if i'm really at the funeral now what do i do because if yeah. i'm really here and it's a funeral and it's not this other thing i thought it was now i have a bunch of different options that weren't in my sort of mental purview because i was fundamentally misinterpreting the context right right <laughs> this is not for somebody else this is for me right this yeah. is for us yeah. the anthropocene right. is is a is a funeral for our modernist global civilization and maybe for our species and everything you know we have to reconcile now and and i think this is why one of the gifts is is we are being for, like the, the 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 attractor of being earthbound of needing to talk about um, uh, just on the immaterial sense, uh, supply chains and bioregionalism and is food going to support us anymore? How do we shift out of this extractive capitalist uh, cultural economy, et cetera? All of those are implicitly, their kind of shadow is, is come back down to earth, right? Everything is inviting us to do that. Now, whether or not we recognize that or we want to go, let's get off the planet as that's been one that's been one reaction which is denial yes. death denial yes. totally in a certain sense and an acceleration yeah, there, of death yeah the, the acceleration of death but also the like um well in some way the magical is also there because they're actually saying well if i change the context i won't have to answer this question right right <laughs> you know <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny because it's like wherever you go there you are i mean mm -hmm. You know, you you act if you act a certain way, you're not gonna really change that much on Mars. Not really. <laughs> like you know, uh, you might, but there is a long tail to these kinds of things too. Where like, I do often think about how in Gebser talks about these mutations of consciousness over species time, mm -hmm. and one could also look at those mutations of context over individual time of like a child goes from the archaic to the magical, to the mythic, to the mental. And can we make, can we let the children go to the integral? 
because if that's mm -hmm. the natural wave of development, and I'm not saying it, it might not be. It, for many neurodivergent people, it probably isn't what I just said. It's probably like magic, mythical, back to magic. Oh, I want to go to archaic, and then I, <laughs> I never want to go to the mental rational. Like it might be that way. Or for some people, it's like mental, rational, and I don't ever want to go into the archaic. And that's what we see with the modern society is like the archaic prehistorical roots of our consciousness also representing death. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like not just the future and this all death coming, but the state of mind that our deep time ancestors existed in to the mental, rational looks like death. Yes. Yes. That's the other thing. So it's like death on both sides. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like, oh, if I look back, I find death. If I look forward, I find death. Again, coming back to, well, if that's what you, if that's the honesty, I look back and find death, I don't like it. I look forward, I find death, I don't like it. The actual context is either way you slice it, mm -hmm. you're going to have to deal with this. And for me in my own practice, it's just making an art of just constantly dealing with that. Like, like this is actually the centerpiece of everything I do, even if I don't talk explicitly about it. Because for me, this is the only fucking question that is even halfway interesting to deal with, mm -hmm. right? Like, I'm just like, how do I be in a good relationship with death? Oh, that brings up a whole bunch of things. I guess I have to do something about all the things it brought up in me. You know, like it's like a Pandora's box. It's like it's like a never-ending Pandora's box. You're like, I guess I'll consult the Oracle again. Oh, looky here. I asked the same question. I get different answers. Every time you ask the same question, you get different answers, but they're all telling you something that's really hard to deal with, isn't it? It's like, oh yeah. I pull the tarot. Looks different every time. Ask the same question though. Mm -hmm. So this mm -hmm. is that kind of mirror, the the mirror that is also a prism. Yes. So it's mere, it's not just showing you a reflection, it's shining light through the glass in all directions. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. suddenly your mirror image is like a holographic kaleidoscope. And you're, and you're like, oh, this is what I actually have to deal with. You know? <laughs> and so with all that being said, like, oh, I just love this conversation. And I have a, an arbitrary way to end because I want to value everyone's time and we could talk forever. But Let's just continue through time is better than trying to do it all at yes, once. Yes, um, I've loved it too, Derek. Thank you for this. this awesome. Yeah, and I'm really, I just want to tag a few things like, before I get into sort of how we want to end it, um, tell people where they can reach you and what you've got going on. That would be awesome. Sure, yeah, you could connect with me on Twitter. That's fine. Uh, uh, my handle is, if they call it handles, he's a JDJ underscore rights. And then you can also connect with me on Patreon. I think it's just patreon.com slash Jeremy Johnson. Um, and then my homepage right now, it's it's an old just WordPress website, mutations.blog, any of those places. Um, you could check out what I'm doing in terms of writing on revelor.press. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, I'm working on a, a new book series right now, my, my own next book, and then a few other authors and an anthology. Um, so the, there's a lot of things in the works, but mutations.blog is probably the place you can find all of that happening. Sure. So. Great. And I'm, I'm going to put all those various links in the show notes in the description. So, you know, it's really 
I mean, I'm really, I'm really getting into your work more too anyway. So like for me, I've tagged like, I want to join that mutations book club. I want to read Annihilation with y'all. I bet that's starting oh, really awesome. soon. Yes, I want to, yeah. I want to sign up. So, okay. so sign me up, like save a spot for me. I'm going to figure out how to make it work. And then some of the other stuffs I was just tagging are, um, yeah, like um, I would love in the future to like get, do like a, just really dive into poetry with you because I know that you're a fan of Le Guin and a bunch of other like Asian poets. You know, we got Dogen, we have the scent of time that we mentioned, and there's a whole host of like Asian and, you know, non-Asian, but, but a lot of Asian philosopher poets. And, um, you know, of course we mentioned Rilke and Lorca and like, Oh, you know, that just gets me going because there's so much there to share, like reading poetry back and forth and then discussing why we picked it and what was going on with those poets and how we relate that to this Gebserian kind of integral worldview because it's a it's a map that I'm starting to use on everything because I just realized I was already using the map and Gebser put weird words to it, you know, like this was the map I was already using. Um, but to look at it through time is not the same. It, in, there's that time, there's that species time thing where we're like, here's the archaic, here's the myth, here's the magical, here's the mythical. And those are very long expanses of human history that we can say those were the predominant consciousness states. But then there's this other thing where you look at Chinese alchemy and you're actually moving through those states on a neurobio spiritual psycho level you're actually moving through and to all those states physically and um that's mapped vertically in the body mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right like it's mapped vertically because we're vertical animals right so it's very just it's so amazing to me when the 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 asian philosopher poets who are practicing these vertical alchemies of taoism and nagong and qigong and all that stuff zen they're all vertical alchemies you know um, but to be able yes. to sort of cross-reference all of these, because it does create a graph. It's like very much so, yeah. Right, like time and, and, is and both. And some Gibsarians talk about that as well, in terms of uh, Brent and uh, a totally. few others talking about the different centers of the body, and then how it kind of goes yeah. up towards the. the and even Gebser says, you know, okay, each area of the body has some kind of association with the structure. So right. yes, there's so much to cross-reference and explore there. And that's awesome to hear. Yeah, we should yeah, definitely great. continue these conversations either through here and your show or come on to Mutations. Oh yeah. Mutations community. Yeah. Let's, let's make it happen. I, I absolutely want to, like, I, I want to make it work. I want to, I want to sort of like tentatively touch your community and be like, how does everyone react? Cause, cause it's very real that like, I think you and I, we, we get what we're doing in a way that's just like simpatico. And then there is this sort of like learning edge of people navigating cultural, um, like in-group, out-group dynamics that are also at play in how to be integral, right? Like, cause you, we're, no one is immune from these maybe pre-mental or like pre-integral reactions you know, like the pre-integral reaction of like being uh, scared of outsiders. <laughs> yeah, all the time, especially in, in these communities online. Yeah, um, totally. And it, yeah, and that it, the, the way we're navigating is actually hyper intensifying certain aspects of the relationality, like the intensifying the otherness of everything, you know? Um, so anyway, awesome, awesome stuff.
I have this idea. I'm you to read the last one though that I'm going to send in the chat. Okay, sure. Okay, and I'm going to read a different one, and then after I read it, we'll pause and you read this one because I want to give a kind of twofer. It's like if we're really at the funeral, people are going to come up to the pew and give some eulogies, mm. and I'm going to read. I think what I think what maybe one of Gebser's eulogies was is called a grain of salt. And then Jeremy's going to read a different one. And we're going to end like that today. So thank you all so much for listening. We're going to end it after these poems. We're not going to talk anymore. It's going to go silent. So I want to get it all out of the way now. Find us where you find us. All the links will be um, written up for all of y'all. Thank you so much for listening. Please follow Jeremy's work. I think it is a necessary part of the relational conversation that we need to be having. Thank you so much, Jeremy, for doing what you're doing. Here's the first poem. Grain of salt. Nothing now remains but bitter patience. Salt scattered upon the fields and hills. Withered grasses, forgotten herbs, desolate strength and dead waters that now and then still reflect a cloud, fragments of a sky of scattered blue. But from the edges of these pools rise shadows. From what sorrows do these flowers bloom? Holding face in hands so that this weeping restores unto the veins their proper flow. We gather grain by salty grain yearning for earth and winds to flourish once again. All right, should I jump in with this one? Here we go. Behind the heavens of those we feel await still others we've yet to live. Behold the rose pink, clouds of dusk, so much promise in their fragile passing. Behind the heavens, behind the heart, roses and reflections, life and death, atone. Ooh. Thank you all so much. Blessings to you and all your relations. This has been Underworld Party. Bye for now. <laughs>